I want to talk to you today just about a subject about how God changes us. And, uh, and then what does that look like? So the title of this message is, is, is How God Changes Me, How God Changes You. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. We're only going to look at a couple of verses as we look at that. So if you have your Bibles, if you're old school, uh, I use both. You can turn to Philippians chapter 2, or you can, you can uh, use an, a, a tablet, a phone, uh, well, a smartphone, or not a rotary phone, but a smartphone. And you can turn, you can use Uversion. Uh, you can go to Uversion, you can search on live event, Fellowship of the Rockies comes up, you click on that, all of the outline, all of the notes, all the, all the scripture comes up. You can take notes and then you can email it to your, yourself or to a friend that really needs it uh, after the service. And so, uh, so hey, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 is what we're looking at this morning. We're looking at this subject of how God changes us. Now, the context of Philippians is this. Paul is writing. He's in jail. He's in Philippi. And it's, it's so important to understand this morning is, is that he's writing to believers. He's writing to Christians. And he's talking about this issue of how God changes us. He wants them to understand. It's important not only that they understood, but it's very important that we understand how God changes us. And so what Paul says is this. God has a role to play and you have a role to play. In other words, we work together. So God has a role to play. You have a role to play. Uh, God works some things in in our life as we work it out of our life. And, uh, and so Paul begins talking about this issue in just a theological term is sanctification. That's becoming more like Christ. Uh, we may would say it like this. It's just talking about spiritual growth. How do we mature in Christ? How do we grow in Christ? And so Paul uses two different words to explain this. Watch this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Here's what Paul says. Therefore, comma, remember I've told you here that whenever you're reading the, the, the Whenever you're reading the New Testament, you come to the word therefore, you gotta, it's like you've got to stop and see what it's there for because the writer is about ready to say some important stuff, and so it's just a marker in the New Testament. And so Paul's like, therefore, and he takes this big breath. You need to understand this. Beloved, so he's talking to believers. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to the church there in Philippi. And he says, beloved, you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. So here we go. Work out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So he gives you the purpose. And so in other words, what he says is this. He says we both have a role to play. In other words, you work out is your part. Working in is God's part. As God works some things into your life, you need to work some things out of your life. In other words, this, you're, you're working out what God is working into your life. Now, when we use that term, work out, it doesn't mean working for your salvation. Because Scripture says it's a free gift. It's, it's by grace so that no man, so that no woman can, can boast. And so he's talking to a group of people who are already believers. And so he's talking about coming to this place that you take your spiritual life seriously, come into this place to where you begin working out the implications of your faith, to where you begin working out and you'll begin taking his word and applying it to your life. Now listen, what do you, let me ask you a question because I, I don't, well, don't even answer this out loud, but what do you do when you work out? And you see, I don't really know because I'm not an expert in this field. I... I don't like exercise. I don't like to work out. I don't like any. My wife loves it, and I don't understand. It's just crazy to me. But, uh, 
But I, I'm not an expert in this field. But a few years back, I started having back problems. And so I, uh, my back started hurting to the point to where, you know what, I, I no longer could play golf. I couldn't do some of the things that I enjoy. And so I'm like most men, the only reason you go to the doctor as a man is because it's an emergency, right? I mean, we don't go normally. And so I got into enough pain, so I crawled into the doctor. And you know what I really wanted? I, I got a great doctor, and I wanted my doctor just to, you know what, just give me a pill, just give me a shot. I don't want to have to do anything. I don't want to have to change a lifestyle. I don't have to do anything. Just give me a pill. Give me a shot. Just take care of this. And so I've got a really great doctor. And he's like, you know what? I'm not giving you a pill. I'm not giving you a shot. I'm going to send you to a physical therapist. Now, at this point, I really didn't know what a physical therapist was like. And so he sent me to a really good physical therapist. And so I go see him. And I'm like, you know what? All I want, just give me a pill. Just give me a shot. I don't want to have to do anything. And he's, you know what he gave me? He gave me exercises. Doing Well, first off, he kind of stretched me out. And I'm telling you, if you've never been to a physical therapist, a physical therapist will make you love your dentist. <laughs> the pain they inflict on an individual, and it appears they enjoy it. And so, and so he start, he's like, I'm not giving you a pill, and I'm not giving you a shot. You're going to have to start doing some things. And so he gets this book out. He runs some Xeroxes. He says, here's your exercises. You need to do them three times a day. He gives me these elastic bands that you have to use and all this other stuff. And then this physical therapist even calls my wife and tells her that Charlie should be doing these exercises three times a day. I just have one word for that, HIPAA. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm pretty, pretty sure there's a law against you calling my wife. <laughs> And tell her what she just, but, but he knew, he knew that, you know what, Charlie's not doing this unless I, he needs some accountability here because he's just not going to do this. And so, and so, you know what, see, you work out, you work out not to get a body, you already have a body, you work out to develop the body that you already have. That's why you work out. It's like, like a puzzle. So you, you take a puzzle, you know, one of those puzzles it has all the pieces in a box and and you dump all the pieces out and you got a box top and you're trying to put the puzzle together based upon the box top and so you already have all the pieces you're working out the, the puzzle you work out the puzzle by putting the pieces together so that they they fit okay and so I know it's a lame joke but it's one of my favorite jokes about that guy that decided he wanted he wanted to do a puzzle and so he decided to start off easy, so he bought one of those small puzzles, like the 250-piece puzzle. And so he worked on it like day and night, and all of his time, all his free time went to it. And it took him like a month. And so he like finally completed it, and he's telling his friends, his buddies, what he did. And his buddies are making fun of him. And he says, they said, we can't believe it took you so long. This is like a simple puzzle. He says, well, you know what, I, I thought I was doing pretty good because the box top says four to six years. I mean, I, I know it's a lame joke, but you'll remember it, right? And so to work out means to get the full value of what already is in your possession. To work out physically means to develop the body you already have. To work out a puzzle means to work out the pieces that you already have by putting together. Uh, a farmer works the ground. He's cultivating it. He, 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 uh, he works for it. He, he works it out. And then all of a sudden... Paul goes on and says, oh, and work out your 
salvation. You're not working out anybody else's. In other words, it's an individual assignment. See, all Karen and my wife could do, Karen could be an accountability partner for me. She could tell me, you know what, you really need to do those exercises. But she couldn't work out for me because my back wouldn't get any better. I had to do it. So what Paul's trying to help us understand, this is an individual assignment. In other words, you cannot work out, you cannot work it out for a husband or for a wife or for a friend or for, for a relationship or for anything like that. It's something, it's an individual assignment. And so there's a, I'm just telling you, you've lived probably long enough to know that there's people around you, they want to work, out, work it out for you, right? It's your assignment. And God wants you to come to the place to where, where you understand the implications of your, uh, of your life. And then he goes even deeper and he says, oh, in, 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 with fear and trembling. And so he's not saying that we fear God. He's not saying that we're afraid of God because we're, we're not slaves. We, we've been ad adopted. He deeply loves us. He will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. We're a child. We're sons and daughters of him. And we're in the family. It means this, that you understand the seriousness of these implications. That you understand that life and death hangs in the balance. You understand this is, listen, it has eternal significance. And he says, for it is God who works in you, and you come to the place where you understand the implications of your faith, and you begin working it out. So this morning, just real quickly, I'm going to give you three principles or three different ways that God changes us because so many times this is just so confusing to Christians. Because, listen, there's a lot of Christians just like me physically, but you know what? They're saying, you know what? I want to grow and I want to mature. I just don't want to have to do anything. Just give me a pill. Just give me a shot. Maybe if I just go to enough worship services, all of a sudden I'll be mature in Christ. And that, that like, never works. And it's something that you have to do. And it's the seriousness of this that you have to see. So three ways that God changes. The first thing that God uses, God uses his word. God uses his word. Second uh, uh, Timothy verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, uh, he, he writes and he says, All scripture is breathed out by God. That word all, guess what? That means the Old Testament and the New Testament. I, I've always said I... I think it's all inspired to, by God from the table of contents all the way through the maps. I just think it's all inspired by him. Although, when I came to Christ in my 20s, my life was a wreck and I come to Christ, the most confusing part of the Bible for me were the maps. I'm like, why'd they even put those in here? <laughs> I, it, it, but anyway, you don't really care. Verse 16, <laughs> and all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. You know what the Bible tells us? It's, it's God's word that changes our thoughts. And if it changes our thoughts, it changes you. Listen, if you're serious, I'm just telling you this morning, if you're serious about changing your life, if you're serious about changing the circumstances in your life and situations, then I'm just telling you, you need to get into his word. Whether, whether, it's, whether it's a hard copy, whether it's paper, whether it's an app, whether it's something on, whether you get, however, where you're serious about getting into his word to where you read it and you study it and you get to begin to memorize it and you meditate on it. And then, oh, and that's not even enough because you've got to work this out on your own to where you come to the place to where you'll take his word and you'll apply it to your situation. In other words, this, that you no longer will think worldly 
by worldly standards. You no longer think emotionally, you think biblically. To where you come and it's just not what your emotions and what your feelings are telling you, but you come to that place to where you're able to think biblically. Jesus said this, Jesus said, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman that not, not only just hears the word of God, but does it. The blessing comes not by just hearing the word, the blessing in your life, the blessing in my life is when we take his word and we apply it to our situation. We apply it to our, our circumstance. I come across people all the time and say, you know what? I just don't get this faith stuff. I, I just don't have a, I, I don't have a lot of faith. And so, well, how often do you read scripture? Well, I don't. Well, that's the problem because the Bible says this, faith comes, faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. I mean, when you start looking at this, in the Christian life, growth is not automatic. Even though I went to a doctor, even though I went to a physical therapist, correcting my back problems was not automatic. I had to do some things. Spiritual growth is not automatic. You, listen, let me just tell you. Your thoughts in your life don't just direct your life. Your thoughts are your life. And whatever change you want to make in your life, in the circumstances that you're in, it starts with changing your thoughts. It's the, the biblical word for that is like repentance. Repentance simply means this. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. That's all repentance is. To where you're headed down a road and you know, guess what? The bridge is out. And if I continue down this road, if I continue making these decisions, if I continue living this lifestyle... One day there's going to be a train wreck. One day there's going to be a car wreck. And there's going to be carnage and, and collateral damage and relationships and bodies. And as a result of that, as a result of that, I have a change of mind that leads to a change of direction to where I begin to change my direction. So whatever train change you want to make, it starts with your mind. I mean, I run across people all the time that says, I'm just so frustrated. I keep asking forgiveness for this sin or for this issue in my life, and I'm asking for forgiveness over and over. I don't get peace. I don't get joy. I don't get any of that. Why is I'm asking for forgiveness? Because generally it has something to do with repentance. Because the peace doesn't come, the joy doesn't come until you confess that, until you understand that there's a change of mind that leads to a change of direction, and you change your direction and say, guess what, God? I'm going to trust your word over my emotions. I'm going to trust your word over my feelings. I'm going to trust your words over the world's value system. I'm not going to handle this as the world would handle it. And that's when peace and joy come. That's why Paul said in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world. And that's the world's value system. In other words, as a believer, we don't have the same values as the world. We don't handle situations the same as the world does. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, Jesus says, thy, thy word is true. The psalmist writes in Psalm 1-1, he writes these words. He said, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor seats in, sits in the seat of scoffers, those who make fun of people, those who slander, those who gossip, those who... who, who who are hurtful to others. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's just a biblical Old Testament way of saying the Bible. On his law, he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree. In, in the Old Testament, the word tree was a metaphor for a life, for a, for a person. And he says, okay, so the person that 
meditates on the law of the Lord, uh, meditates on his, on his word, uh, he will be like, or she will be like a tree planted by streams of water. In the Old Testament, it's just so cool. In the Old Testament, the word water was a metaphor for divine grace. If you'll meditate on his word, if you take his word serious, you're gonna be, your life is going to be planted where this stream of divine grace is just flowing through your life and yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither when you go through hurtful, difficult, confusing circumstances in your life. And then watch this huge, huge promise. And so there's conditional promises of Scripture and non-conditional promises of Scripture. This is a conditional promise of Scripture. If you do this, then he just says, and all that he or she does they'll prosper prosper in other words they'll live a a blessed life whenever someone takes his word serious and begins to to meditate on it that's why one of the psalmists wrote and he says I, i've taken i've taken god i've taken your word and I've, I've hidden your word in my heart so so i may not sin against thee i mean there's encouragement and encouragement in the new testament that may 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 the May the, word of, may the word of God dwell. May the word of God find a home in your life and in your heart. In other words, that you begin thinking on his word. There's a, there's a monk that wrote a book in the 1800s about practicing the presence of God and the continual presence of God. And it just radically changed my life a number of years ago. And uh, it, it, it's, it's in his word. It's in taking his word. And so... Uh, so for, for a period of time, I, I would take his word and, and, and life journaling and, and those verses that really spoke to me, and I'd, I'd put it on an index card, that I, or a verse that I was trying to memorize, or a verse that was speaking to me, encouragement or whatever at the time. And I'd, I'd write it on an index card, and sometimes it's on dashboards of cars and mirrors and all this other stuff. But I'd also take that index card, and I'd put it in my pocket with my billfold, and every time I reached for my billfold as a reminder, and I'd read it. And now, now, now I've, I've gone like high-tech. Yeah, even though if you can see it, even though my cell phone's smashed, but it, it still works. And so, and, and so I, I went to the, you know, the reminder section, the to-do section, whether, you know, an app or whatever you use. And uh, I have a section called reminders. And so when, God's, when God speaks something into my heart or when there's a verse that, that is just speaking to me, you know, what I, you know what I've started doing? It's just amazing what it's done for me. I take I, t I type that verse out and I place it in my reminders and I have my phone remind me three or four times during the day. And I get that ding and I, I and I, and I open it. It's, it's like almost a text message from God. And <laughs> God's gone high tech too. And uh, and then all of a sudden I get that ding and I check it and. And it's, it's a verse. It's a continual reminder of the presence of God and it's found in his word. The second thing that God uses to change us, he uses his word and he uses the Holy Spirit. In other words, at the moment of salvation, God places his Holy Spirit in us. Paul writes in, in Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, in other words, you have the resurrected power of Jesus Christ in your life. 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the, his spirit who dwells in you. Paul said it a different way in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He says, and we all, talking about believers, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Listen, let me tell you something. God's plan to change you. Yes, it's through his word, but he uses the power of the Holy Spirit to, to change you. He gives you, listen, let, let me just tell you something, just so we're, we're tracking this morning. God would be mocking us if he asked you, or me, if he asked us to do something that we could not do. He'd be mocking us. And that's the reason he gives us the Holy Spirit that dwells in our lives. Because it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to read his word to apply his word, to live his word out. And so you read his word, and, and, and it's the Holy Spirit that, that, that begins to mold us and teach us and to change us. And, and so I don't know if anyone's taught you this. I don't know if anyone's ever talked about this. But, but I just want you to know, I pray. I pray to the Holy Spirit. Now listen, for a lot of churches, a lot of churches, they're good with God, and you're good with Jesus, and like, like the... The Holy Spirit is just like the crazy cousin <laughs> that nobody knows what to do with. And you're afraid he's just going to show up. He might, things might get weird. And so, but I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is the third part of the tri Trinity. He's co-equal. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of times before I life journal, before I read Scripture, I pray directly to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, please enlighten my mind. Because Scripture says that he's the one that teaches us. Please help me. To, before I write a sermon, Holy Spirit, please speak to me now. You know, listen, you know more what this congregation, what your children need better than I do. Would you please speak through me? And when you understand this, and so, so watch this. So Jesus says, Jesus said in John 14, uh, 15, 4, he said, abide in me. In, in other words, make your home in me. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so now he says, who are the vine and who are the branches? I am the vine, Jesus, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Far, and this is so important, far apart from me, you can do nothing. You may think you're accomplishing much without him. You know what he says? You're accomplishing nothing. And Jesus says this, Jesus says, I'm the vine, and you're the branches. Now, there's a lot of us that all of a sudden we get to the place and we believe we're the vine and he's the branch and he's the one that works for us and he's the one under us. But Jesus said this, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branch. And so you have, in other words, the, the branch depends on the vine for growth. The branch depends on the vine to bear fruit. In other words, this, he's talking about this issue that the, the branch is totally dependent on the vine. And when you cut the branch away from the vine, it will not bear much fruit. In fact, it won't bear any fruit. In other words, a branch by itself, a branch detached from the vine cannot bear fruit. And Jesus is saying the same thing as with God. That God is the vine and we're the branch. And he's saying that this growth is not automatic. In other words, you have to be plugged into God. In other words, this fruit is an inside job. Now listen, in our backyard, we have like these big raspberry bushes. And uh, my wife just like loves them. And so when I'm doing yard work, if ever I get too close to the raspberry bushes and I whack one, 
uh, with the weed eater and, and, and cut off a branch. Well, you know the first thing I do? I hide the evidence. <laughs> My wife is very protective of the raspberries, and so I'm like, ah, I can't believe that just happened again. <laughs> and so, but whenever, whenever you cut a branch and it's away from the vine, it will never, it will never produce raspberries. It will, it, it's designed to, it's supposed to, but the branch has to be connected to the vine. And the same with us. Listen, let me tell you something. What he's saying is, he's saying that we have to live a life understanding that we're the branch, he's the vine, we're totally dependent on him. And that means that we pray continually, understand he's with us about every decision, about our feelings and relationships and deadlines and projects and all of those other things. How do you know what you're dependent on God for right now? Whatever you're praying about. If you're not praying about it, you're not dependent on him. If you're not praying about it, you know what you think? You think apart from him, I, I can do much. But he would tell you no. In other words, you learn to practice the presence of God in every decision, in every circumstance. So to change us, God uses his word. He uses the Holy Spirit. The last thing is this. God uses circumstances. God uses problems and stress and headaches and crisis in our life. He can use celebrations in our life. But there's something about circumstances, right? You know this. There's something about circumstances that get our attention. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now listen, he never said all things are good. He's just saying they're working together for good. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In, in, in other words, you're designed to bear fruit. You're designed just like the raspberry bushes. And he may be, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And, and God has used circumstances in my life to get my attention. God has used circumstances in my life to change me more than any other thing. It, it, I mean, if we're honest, it's circumstances in life that, that get our attention. It, and I would just tell you this, it really doesn't matter where our problems come from. So many people waste so much emotional energy trying to figure out if it comes from Satan, if it comes from self, if it comes from somebody else. I don't know that it really matters, but I, I know this. It doesn't matter where it comes from, self, Satan, somebody else. God says, I'll use that circumstance in your life because God is more interested in our character than our comfort. And so God first works through his word and he works through the Holy Spirit. And if that doesn't work, he uses circumstances. Because, listen, if you read the Bible like six hours a day, which would be like a lot, it would be like huge, but if you read the Bible six hours a day, that's not a major section of your life, right? How many hours a day do you have circumstances? It's like 24-7. And, and I believe many times God works, depends more on circumstances in your life than the other two. Because here's what happens circumstances in your life when you go through those 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 difficult times in your life circumstances get your attention and it naturally pushes you into his word and into the holy spirit see we humans rarely change unless we're desperate we don't often change when we when we see the light uh, but we always change when we feel the heat and so a lot of times god will light a fire under us to get us moving uh, and so we have God's word as a resource. We, got, we have God's, God's Holy Spirit to empower us and to change us. 
But God uses circumstances. That's why James writes in John in James chapter one, verse two. He says, count it all joy. Now, he doesn't say call them all joy. He says, count it all joy. Why? Because you understand that circumstances are working together to do something in your life when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that he's testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. See, joy is tied to God, not circumstance. Happiness, happenstance, happiness is tied to circumstance. Joy is tied to God. doesn't matter about the circumstance with joy. In other words, a lot of us need to get off the happiness roller coaster in our life where we're riding the highs and the lows, and we need to get on the joy train. We need to understand that Scripture says, in fact, as Jesus said, it rains on the just and the unjust. In other words, this, it rains on the believer and the non-believer. Why? For the contrast. Because the world needs to see how a true believer handles when it rains on them. How they handle circumstances, how they handle difficulty in life. How we understand that God will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll never... But James goes on, verse 3. For you know that that, that the testing of your faith... In other words, when we go through trials of various kinds, what James says... We understand that, guess what? We're proving out our faith. We're proving out that we really believe God's word is God's word and we can apply it to our situation. The way that I know that I have raspberries in the backyard is by the fruit they produce. I don't have to guess about the leaf structure and how high the plant is, how green the plant is, what the plant looks like. I don't have to wonder. I know I have raspberries in my backyard because the fruit that they produce the fruit in your life and my life that is revealed in the midst of difficult circumstances reveals more about your character than you really think it does. When the pressure comes on you and the way you respond reveals who you really are in Christ. Listen, a test, what James says, a test is not to judge you, but to prove what you've learned. In other words, it's, 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 it's to prove out who you are in Christ and And that's why he goes and he says, here's what it produces. The end of verse 3, produces steadfastness and let that steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, this trial, the reason that we consider it joy when we go through a trial is because it's producing something in us. This word steadfastness, kind of a a vague word word in the English language, in the Greek, it means the ability to remain under. The purpose of a trial is to give you the ability to remain under a difficult situation and take God's word and apply it to your life. But none of us naturally like pressure, right? I can walk up to you and I can place both my hands on your shoulders and begin to press down, and you would hate that. A lot of times you'll fight against that. We just don't like pressure. But when God, when God walks up to your life and puts his hands on your shoulders and begins to press down, Maturity is is the ability to remain under. Every time God puts pressure on you and you cut and run, you'll never mature. You know what? I'm going to go find the perfect job. I'm going to find the perfect marriage. I'm going to find the the perfect school. I'm going to find the perfect supervisor. I'm going to find the perfect uh, uh, situation. I'm going to find the perfect circumstance. I'm going to find the perfect church. I'm going to find the perfect pastor. I'm going to find the perfect situation. If whenever God puts pressure on you and you cut and run, you'll never mature in here, in him. And, And he says that if you will remain under, here's what you get. It's just unbelievable. Perfect. 
complete, lacking nothing. I mean, in other words, one of the ways to look at trials, it is in trials that God is perfecting your faith. The next time you're in a disagreement, and you're going to have to use this with, with discernment, but, and someone looks at you and says, oh, so you just think you're perfect. Theologically, you can say, no, I'm not perfect, but guess what? I'm becoming perfect. I am becoming perfect in my life because that's what trials, when we remain under and we handle them biblically. You know what? Here's what we'd rather do. When God puts his hands on our shoulders in pressure, we'd rather complain. I hate this. I cannot stand this. And guess what? We'll complain to anyone that will sit still long enough to listen to us to complain for them to take up our offense. Or we say, you know what? I'm just going to get out from under this. Uh, I, you know, I'm out of here. Back away from the vehicle now. Or we criticize. I have a problem. And guess what? I'm looking at my problem. My problem is you. And so we just kind of criticize. Or we attack. And we attack people around us. We attack people that, that we disagree with. And many times we hurt the people that we love the most. And one of the worst things that happens is we just, we give up. There's a difference between depression and despair. Depression is this. Depression is when, we, when we're in a dark room and in a dark place and we don't like it and we want out. Despair is this. When, we, when we're in a dark place and we don't want out. We just don't care anymore. God, just go ahead and back the truck over me. I am done. And we remember, when we remember that God is using circumstances in our life to purify us. Character is the bottom line. It's to develop character. You know, you know what character means biblically? Something that has been proven reliable. Someone that has been proven reliable, that they have the ability to remain under in difficult circumstances. And they come out perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me ask you this morning, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, what is God saying to you? What is God saying to you as a result of his word? What is he saying to you as a result of, of this message? Maybe... Maybe you need to take your first step into the Christian life to where you come to the place where you, you ask him to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life because I'm telling you, none of us have the ability to remain under difficult circumstances without the power of God in our life, without, without a relationship with him because he's the one that empowers us. He's the one that gives us power. And so maybe that's your first step because every one of us has a next step here this morning. Regardless of how short we've been a Christian or how long we've been a Christian, every one of us in this room has a, has a next step. And maybe your next step is this, just to, just to get into his word. And say, so, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to take the, my spiritual gro growth and the implications of my faith, I'm going to take it seriously. And I'm going to learn to apply biblical values, scripture, to my situation. And I'm not going to think how the world thinks. And I'll stand even when it's not popular. And I'll just stand on his word and call it good. Maybe you're in a difficult circumstance. And maybe you say, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to remain under. And I'm going to practice the promise of God. Asa in, in Chronicles came to that place. And his prayer was, God, in the circumstances, do not allow my hands to become weak. And will you just continually remind me that you're the one that rewards you're the one that rewards, not man. 
And that may I, may I be perfect and complete and lacking nothing in you. Maybe this morning you'd say, you know what, I, I just have a prayer request. I, I'm, I'm carrying a burden. I walked in this place with a burden. And I just want you to know you're in a good place. Because we would love to have the opportunity to pray for you. So if you're carrying a burden, if you have a need in your life, in just a few minutes after I pray, we're going to stand. And when we stand, if you need prayer in any area of your life, it can be what I talked about. Or it can be nothing about what I talked about. But if you're carrying a burden, say, you know what, I just need prayer. I just need someone with flesh on just to pray for me, to minister to me, to encourage me. We would love to have that opportunity. We have story after story what God has done in the front of this place when people have just simply responded. So if you need prayer in any area of your life, if you need encouragement, we'd love to pray for you. So after I pray in a few minutes and we stand, if you need prayer in any area of your life, as you stand up, would you step out, begin making your way down to the front. You don't have to walk alone. People will be walking with you. So you come if you need prayer in just a minute. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the power of your word and the power of your name. And Father, we just ask that you'd pull this church very closely to you and that we'd respond to you and that prayers would be answered, burdens would be lifted. And would we know that we have met with you this day? And would we walk out different than how we walked in because we've met with you? For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.